Good. My name's Eric, if you haven't met me. I'd love to meet you, help you connect to our church, or answer any questions you might have. Um, if you're new, uh, this morning might have been a little weird. And so t- today is when we send all of our kids to camp. Uh, so you might have seen parents rushing in, rushing out, um, and you're like, what is that crazy person doing? Pray for them. They probably spent two hours fighting over sweaters and Bibles and being, you know, all the fun stuff. And so uh, we're excited. Uh, keep them in your prayers. We have elementary up to high school going. Uh, we're sending a, a little over 270 people. So that's a chunk, isn't it? And so we want to pray for them. Uh, we want them to have fun. Uh, but most of all, we want them um, to know Jesus, right? We want them to know there's nothing better than loving and following Christ, that the Word of God uh, is their anchor. And so often people are like, man, aren't you just so excited about camp? And my typical response is, we'll see six months from now, right? And so uh, the real work will happen when they come back and we nurture those seeds of the Word of God's been planted in their heart uh, to move from a mountaintop experience uh, to loving and following Christ more. Amen? You guys awake? You gonna be all right? Okay, all right, let's pray. God, we love you, we praise you, and uh, we thank you. Uh, we pray that you uh, would speak, and I wouldn't. Uh, we pray that your words would ignite our hearts. Uh, we pray for all the kids going, that they would learn more about you, what you've done, your greatness, your glory, uh, your judgment, uh, the beautiful work of the cross, the saving work of Jesus. They would learn these things, that you draw them close to yourself, and that they would love you more. And it's our prayer that your word this morning uh, would convict our hearts, encourage our hearts, uh, and help us in our endeavor to be more like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, quick note, uh, if you are going to camp, this is the A building, B building's in the middle, C building's at the far south end, that's where you'll check in. We have five buses, so they'll run you through that, what bus to get on, there's food over there, and so after the service, that's where you will go. So, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, so you can go ahead and turn there and get ready. Um, we are in, you know, David and Goliath. And I wish I could say that this was a well-taught passage. This is probably one of the more butchered stories in all the Bible. Um, Health, wealth, and prosperity preachers won't love to tell you um, that you can overcome your giants. That's not what this text is getting at. So what we want to do, and and this is why it's important, you know, a a topical sermon is okay, but that's where you'll see a lot of error sometimes is that they'll pluck a story out of its context or its narrative, and you won't see what's truly going on. And so what we want to do is look through this and, and see exactly what is being communicated. Um, because it's not about David and it's not about giants. It is about the providence of God. It is about God as king. It's about God being the king they need. If we catch up in our story, um, we see that they've shifted from having you know, a judge, a priest, to uh, a monarchy. They wanted a man king. They wanted one of their own. They wanted to be like the nations. And God warned them in chapter 8, didn't he? He said, look, if you get a king, he will take your sons and put them to war. He will take your daughters and make them their servants. He will take your land. He will take your money. Do you really know what you're asking for? And do we remember their response? Give us a king. Oh, give us a king because he will go and fight for us. He will go and lead us to victory. And so now you have this point uh, in, in Samuel where Saul is at battle. 
And he is tasked to do the very thing that they thought he would do. So you have Saul sitting in a battlefield for 40 days, being mocked by Philistines, being mocked by Goliath. And man, before we get into our first point, I just want to give you a little bit of context because the first couple verses, it starts off with a lot of numbers and math. And you don't always see that in the text. And, and I think it's trying to draw our attention to a, a singular point to help us. When you think of Goliath, uh, it's not just saying he's a tall guy. He's really trying to draw the point that he is so huge and David is so small that this could only be done by the work of God, the king that you need. And so I don't like props. I think they're kind of crazy or goofy sometimes, but this I thought would help, okay? So you're supposed to go, ooh, no, right? So this is a nine and a half foot mark. That would be Goliath, okay? And if Saul is head and shoulders above everybody, kind of my height, put it like 6'2", and this is David probably 5'6". That's staggering, isn't it? That's a whale of a man. So what is he getting at? This huge nine foot, I mean, if you're Shaq, he's still got two feet on you. Isn't that crazy? So you're looking at this, this huge man, short David, and he's carrying around probably 300 pounds of armor. The point being made is that there's no way David could do this on his own. And so we can't miss through this, that God often uses means that make no sense to us to accomplish his purpose, his glory, so that we are very crystal clear that it was all about him and not us, okay? I don't want you to miss that underpinning as we get into our text. So we're gonna look at, you know, three truths we can pull from here. Our first one is that we need to fear God and not fear man. Fear God and not fear man. When you you look into this text, it's really quick that there is fear amongst Israel. There's fear amongst Saul. They've been sitting here for 40 days. Uh, you look at verse 24, and he even says, And the men of Israel, when they saw them, fled from him, and they were much afraid. Verse 32, when David comes onto the scene, he's hearing that Israel, is, that their God is being mocked by Goliath. And this angers him. And his response in, in 32, he says, So let no man's heart fail Because of him, your servant will go and fight the Philistine. And so I I want you to notice here that David doesn't fear Goliath, but but what's his motivation? It's not conquering a giant. It's not some new challenge. It's not cancer. It's not, you know, sports. What he's seeing is someone is mocking his God. And everyone else is just standing by. And everyone else at this point is starting to kind of believe what is being said. You see the word defy used six times in this one passage. In in verse 10, uh, Goliath announces his intentions. He says, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. And then 11 says, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. He's literally defy, think of blaspheming, mocking, he's mocking Israel. Your God is nothing. And Israel's right there like, yeah, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And so they have a fear of man. David has a fear of God. And that, I believe, allows him to encounter what's going to happen to him. He's not afraid because he knows, hey, God is the one we should fear. Now, what's, what's interesting 
is the difference between, I think, David, which we'll get to a little bit later, and everyone else in the passage, is that he fears the Lord. He has faith. And if you look through, God's tried to remind them multiple times. You should fear me. Remember that passage we just read earlier? Chapter 8, he goes through, hey, I rescued you guys from Egypt. I took you out, parted the sea, killed Pharaoh's men. Earlier on, you keep walking through the wilderness. What does he do? Jericho, they march around it. The walls fall. Gideon, they drink with weird hands and God makes an army and they bang pots and pans and they win. God's been winning, true? Okay. So you, you see this walking through. He, even in Samuel, the Ark of the Covenant is put next to Dagon, the Philistine God, and God knocks him off to kind of mock them. And yet, there is a fear of Goliath and not of God. Why is that? This is why in Samuel, it uses this phrase, I want you to remember, it says, you have forgotten so it's what Samuel's told by God. They have forgotten. They have forgot. When we forget what the Lord has done, we are easily captured by fear and fear of man. And so it's very important, part of this is, that we are ever, forever remembering what God has done, that we would fear him and not fear man. Another way you could say it is that we, we fear man because we don't fear God. What's weird is it's, it's almost as if they look at God, and I think we do this too, in isolated events. It's like, yeah, God, God worked through the Red Sea. God worked through Jericho. God worked through Christ. Oh, but this Philistine, ooh, God can't handle that. We do the same thing, don't we? Jesus can overcome death, conquer sin. God can create the world, but man, if we get a president we don't like, we're in trouble. Right? We get a governor that's crazy. If we get a pandemic, oh man, God doesn't know how to deal with that. This is an iPhone world. This is a common core world. This is a, you know, we can drive, we can go to space. It's as if those things in the past, you know, God was in, but this is different. The Philistines have no reason that God has revealed himself to them. He has beat them. He's overcome them. God has been faithful to Israel. He has loved them. He's provided for them. And yet there's this isolation like, well, what can he do now? Matthew 10 helps frame this for us. It says, Matthew 10, 28, it says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a pretty direct passage, isn't it? He's saying, look, this Goliath guy, these Philistines, all they can do is put you in the grave. Only God can put you in hell. Fear him. That's a pretty good statement, don't you think? Frames it. But yet, as Christians, what we're seeing is policies are being changed. Propaganda is being promoted. We're acting as if God is not on the throne. And as if he has not acted in history in a way that we should be confident. Is this true? It is. Thank you. You guys wait. You think through these things. This is what's happening in the text. This is why he said all throughout earlier, they have forgotten, they have forgotten, they have forgotten. And in their forgetfulness, they are fearful. They, they see something that, that, that is powerful. A nine foot six man carrying over 300 pounds of armor. And they forget everything the Lord has done. 
Now, now, a part of this fear, I really believe this, is that we don't believe we have what we need to overcome the fear in front of us. That somehow we have insufficient tools for what the day costs. You see, you got, you got to think through this. you got David with a slingshot. And how does Goliath approach him? He's like, what are, am I a dog? Did you come with me with sticks? Verse 43. It's like, you brought sticks to a gunfight, right? Like you have, you don't even have a sword. And we look at the Lord and we're looking at the world and like, all you gave me was a Bible and prayer and the Holy Spirit. How's that going to help? Right? And then it's like, no, you have everything you need. You have everything you need. You need to be confident. You need to stand in the Lord. You need to not fear man. They cannot send you to hell. Christ can and will and he will judge. Fear him. If we fear him properly, then everything else falls into place. See, David goes with no assurance of anything. All he knows is that this man is blaspheming his God, mocking his God, and he will not stand for it. And I think we've, unfortunately, as Christians, come to a place where we're like Saul. We're paralyzed. We capitulate. We get scared. We back off. We go, oh, yeah, I don't, I, whatever you want. I don't, I don't, yeah, Christians are crazy. Yeah, the Bible, it's old. Yeah, the, the, the whole, you know, Jonah and the whale thing. I don't know about that. It's weird. Hell, yeah. Marriage, whatever you want, whatever you want. We back off. As if the word of God is not sufficient. We don't trust him because we fear what man could do to us. This is your classic text where David says, I'm going to stand for the Lord. And he does it in faith. Now here's what's interesting. Is David is standing in faith, but not just Israel's faith. I want you to catch that. Don't miss that. Chapter 8, we talked about that. God has provided. God has provided. God has provided. And now he hears this Philistine mocking his God. And and let's look at the language he says. Okay, so you look at verse 33. uh, Sorry, 32. David's told Saul, hey, don't let hearts fail because of him. I'll go and fight the Philistine, right? 33, Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Now, David's response in 34 is telling. He's like, look, I've been delivered from a lion and a bear. I struck down the lion. I struck down the bear. I'll strike down the Philistine. But look at 37. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Where is his confidence? His confidence is in the Lord. It's like the Lord has done this for me. The Lord has done this for me. The Lord will do this for me again. If you think through this with me, he's called a youth in there. We saw that. So how old do you think he was when he was fighting lions and bears? He's probably a kid, right? He's a young kid, and he's wrestling, and the Lord is delivering him. So in his mind, he just has a childlike faith. God can do anything. He is with me. And then we grow up and get smart and become pragmatists, don't we? We freak out in our houses. And our kids are like, well, God can take care of it. 
And then you chastise your child. How dare you trust God? These are complicated adult problems. You just don't understand. Is this true? Yes, it is. Because somewhere along the way, we think that God can't work in this situation, that God can't give us the tools for this situation. Somehow this situation is different and God is not able. And so there's an element of a childlike faith that just simply trusts that God is sovereign. He is the better king. He knows everything. And I need to trust him. Now, the hard part about this is that God by design, remember the beginning illustration is God makes it obvious that he does the work and not us. Now think through this. You have David. No one's going to talk about how strong he is, how mighty he is, what a good soldier he is, how wise he is. He doesn't get any of those accolades, does he? No, because he's just but a youth. And so in this great victory, it's clearly God did the work. And I think that's what's hard for us is that God works in a way that is hard for us to understand. Because when we're in this moment, we want a nine foot six warrior to send out and compete with Goliath. That makes sense to us. We want whatever weapon the world is using, we want to use the same and use the world's wisdom to attack the world. And God says, well, you do that, you'll worship yourselves. You don't do it like that. Trust me, I will handle it. So you're starting to see this tension here. Look at Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than, and, and my thoughts than yours. See, my ways are higher than yours. It might not make sense to you. Like it would be any of our pick or strategy to send out the little kid to go fight Goliath. That wouldn't be our pick, would it? Of course not. He's saying, but you don't understand. My ways are higher than yours. I'm doing something you don't understand. You need to trust me. And so in that same vein, when the world outside, they're taking away our freedoms, taking away our ability, trying to stop our ability to meet, uh, to read our Bibles, to teach our kids. He's saying, stay the course. Trust me. God's in the business of shaming the world. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 31. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Is he shaming the Philistines right now? Absolutely. And guess what? He's shaming Israel as well. You thought you needed this big warrior king. No, it's just like I told you, you need me. Essentially, David is God's fool to shame Israel, to shame the Philistines so they might know that God is the one who is at work. Keep working through this passage. It says, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So when David defeats Goliath, where does the boasting go? In the Lord, doesn't it? 
And so you think through this. This is often how God works. And like, wait, wait, God, that will, that'll never work. They're allowing abortion and they're changing gender. And, and all you've given me is a Bible. He's like, exactly. You have everything you need. You stand on that. Well, but God, you don't understand. We're going to get a response similar to Goliath. Look how offended Goliath is when they send out David in verse 43. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? 42, it's the, he was disdained when he saw him. He's like, but you're but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. He sent out a pretty boy youth with a slingshot. He's mocking him. He's making fun of him. And the world does the same thing to us. They mock, oh, you, you believe in a Bible, an ancient book? You believe in a God you can't see? And, and we capitulate, oh yeah, no, no, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't believe any of that stuff. And we allow them to mock our God, to mock God's word, and to mock the work of Jesus Christ. In the name of pragmatism, in the name of fear. When it means to trust the Lord, to walk in faith, this is how I'll get to it. He trusts that God is king and he will defend him at all costs. He has not forgotten what the Lord has done in the past. He's not forgotten what the Lord has done to him. So he remembers, he has faith, and he has hope. He declares. I mean, now you have your scene set, right? And and I think for David to get here, he has lots of opposition. It's not just easy faith. What's fun about the Bible, you kind of catch these fun little conversations. David's not even supposed to be there, is he? No, his, his dad sent him there so that he could give food to his siblings, give some food to the army, and report back because it's been 40 days. So big brother sees that his little brother is here, and like any big brother, he's really annoyed. Right? So he calls out David in verse 28. He says, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and evil of your heart And you have come down to see the battle. What a mean brother, huh? He's like, you little evil man, you just came here to see war. And look at David's response. What have I done now? Isn't that such a little brother thing to say? Like, what now? What did I do that's so bad? So he has his brother. Why are you here? Saul, you're just a little boy. Goliath, you're just a little boy with a stick. And yet this is David's response now. I I had to set that up properly. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. There's that word mocked, blasphemed, right? This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. We should just end the sermon there, right? Like boom. And I will give you dead bodies of the host of Philistines this day and the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He is not deterred. But he is not saying, I am a mighty warrior. I am a mighty man. I am a skilled. No, 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 no. The Lord will do this. That all the earth might know who my God is. See, when God does the work. He does it in a way that makes it obvious that he did the work, that he might be praised, worshiped, 
adored, loved. And when you really look through it, it's, it's an act of mercy in and of itself that when I think through this, the Philistines should have been slaughtered for mocking God and Israel should have got slaughtered for not wanting him as king. That seems like justice, doesn't it? Okay, maybe the two of us agree. So, you think through that, God says, you know, I will have mercy. I'll have mercy. He, he allows them to be saved through David, but he makes it clear. Hey, remember chapter 8 when I warned you? Your earthly king will fear other earthly men. I am your king. I told you this would happen. I have given you everything you needed. You just didn't like it. You want to be like all the other nations. But I told you from the beginning, you were a lowly nation, a humble people. But God chose them to show the world, to be a light, that he is the one true king. And that all people of heaven and earth need to follow him. And so this is their reminder. God is who he said he is. God will provide. You need to trust him. Now you go back to that passage. The Philistines are being shamed by the foolishness of the world through a little boy that no man may boast, that all might know the greatness of who God is. So that is the faith we walk in. And it is in that faith we walk in God's victory and not man's. God's victory and not man's. This is so important. I, I think what we're seeing in Christianity is we walk around scared, full of anxiety, just hoping and praying that no one talks to us about Jesus, about God's word, our stance on marriage, our stance on abortion, our stance on who Christ is. And it's like, why do we have such fear, such trepidation? See, this is what, what David knows, is that God's king, the battle's been won, it's been declared. You look all the way back to Genesis 3, you have sin enters the world, and God tells them, through the seed of the woman, he will crush the head of the serpent. So they know, he knows, God will bring victory. And what do you see David doing now? He's literally holding the head, isn't he? Holding the head, victory over. And then you fast forward New Testament, Christ crushes the head of the serpent through his substitutionary atonement on the cross. His blood poured out on our behalf. He crushes Satan, death, sin. So we have victory. We should walk in victory. And the world will throw at, throw at us its power. Your God is not big. Your God is not real. Your Bible is old. Weak people need religion. Weak people believe in Jesus. And then we go, like Saul, well, if I could just have a miracle, if I could just have a sign, if I could just have this. You guys, I know the victory is won in Christ. God's word is written in your hands. The Holy Spirit is implanted in your heart. You have a helper. Victory is yours. You don't need to listen to the world. You don't need to have an addiction. You don't need to chase money, chase people. 
You don't need to chase kids for your glory. You don't need to treat your spouse like a trophy on your mantle to feel good about yourself. You don't need to flash your job title so people know who you are. You have Christ. See, this is the victory that David walks in. And he does it through two motivations. One, he fears the Lord. Two, he has faith. He has faith that God is who he said he is. He is the king. We read texts like this, and it's not, it's not uncommon for people to get amped and to get pumped. They're like, let's go. And when they say let's go, they want to grab a sword, and they want to grab a shield, and they want to fight somebody. And they're like, we got this. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to grab your Bible. You need to pray. And you need to share who Christ is with people who don't know him. Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You see, God's given us the tools we need to accomplish the tasks he's asked. Israel's task was to be a light to the nations who did not know him, to make his name great. We do not want to fail in that same task. We don't want to look around and say, God, why, like, you can't do that now. We don't want to make the same error. Well, God, now there's iPhones and computers and, and people are going to space and you don't understand there's a crazy president and there's a crazy governor and God, you just don't understand. Like, I know you worked back then, but there's just no way you could work now. Is that really what we want to say? No. Thank you. So there has to be a willingness on our part to look the fool. To look the fool. David looks foolish, doesn't he? He's a little boy with a slingshot going out to fight a nine foot six man with a sword and a shield. That's foolish, isn't it? In the world's eyes. We are so afraid to look the fool that we will change God's character, change God's nature, change the work of Jesus, change the Bible, all in the name of foolishness. I don't want to look dumb. Out of fear. And it's because we fear man and we, we don't fear the Lord. And so to think through this, to stand in victory means I trust the Lord's sovereignty. He's the king I need. The world will tell me they could rule me better. They could help me better. They can love me better. They will not fix your marriage. They will not fix your kids. They will not fix your health. They will not fix anything. They will leave you broken, lost, and confused. The only one who can make us whole, who can keep us whole, is Jesus. But there is a cost that we will look the fool to the world. But we cannot be afraid of that foolishness. We cannot. And, and we, like Saul, give the appearance that our God is inept, that he is weak, when every time our country does something weird, the Christians freak out as if God is not on the throne. And it's embarrassing, isn't it? He's the same God who delivered Israel out of Egypt. He's the same God who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And he will come back and judge all things. And he is still on the throne. But we do not act like Illustration helped draw this out. Some of you guys know um, I'm a big USC fan. 
and they haven't had the best of teams lately. So what I have to do is watch old games to have fun, okay? Full disclosure. So I'm re-watching the Rose Bowl against Penn State. And I'm watching this, and my daughter runs out. She's like, Dad, you didn't tell me the Rose Bowl was on. And I didn't have the heart to tell her that it's summer. There is no football, right? So she said, pause it. So she goes, she gets all her USC gear. She gets black under her eyes. She's decked out, ready to go. So I hit play, and we're watching it. And she looks over at me, Dad, why aren't you freaking out? They're losing. It's in the fourth quarter. I'm like, oh, I have, so, I have faith in the team. They're going to be good. They're going to be fine. She's like, Dad, they're losing. I'm like, keep hope, honey. Keep hope, right? So it all comes out. You guys probably know how it ends. They throw a touchdown. Very little time left. They win. She goes nuts. She's like, Dad, that was so stressful. And I was like, no, it wasn't. She's like, why not? I'm like, I already knew they won. I already knew they won. Do we see the comfort in that? Christ has already won. We don't need to freak out as if we don't know. We don't need to capitulate. We don't need to change. We just need to have faith. We need to trust. And we need to declare that hope and declare that trust to all the nations so that all the nations might know who God is. And even look at this in verse 47. That all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. See, the finished work of Jesus on the cross is the victory that allows us to go to heaven. Jesus makes it clear, all that the Father has given him, he keeps. No one can take us out of the hand of Jesus. That's a good thing, isn't it? It's a comforting thing. Flex that we believe our king keeps us immovable. He protects us. And even though we might get sick, our freedoms might be taken away, our loved ones might die, we are still in the hands of the king. And it doesn't mean that we won't get sick, that we won't suffer, that we won't be made fools of, but the battle is already won. And the fool is the world for not worshiping the true king. What we want to do is remember the work of the Lord so that we can have faith in the present and hope in the future so that we can stand as David's done and we could declare to the world who our God is and what he has done. That is the victory that should bring us peace, bring us hope, and bring us confidence. Some questions for us uh, to think through. First one, are you offended when people speak against Jesus? Again, the Goliath, this is not about overcoming a football game, overcoming an illness, overcoming the Democrats or the Republicans. This is overcoming People mocking the Lord, attacking his kingship. Do we stand as David stood and say, you will not talk about God in that way. If you knew who Christ was, you would not be saying the things you are saying. That's an intense conversation, isn't it? But that's why this is here. Because that's exactly what David did. 
but to a nine foot six man with 300 pounds of armor. Was nothing but a, sl a slingshot. He cared about the honor of his king. And he was willing to go to the greatest depths to preserve that honor that the world might know. What should our posture be when people speak against Jesus? Think through that. When people say, oh yeah, gender doesn't matter. Well, who do we think created gender? Not a trick question, people. God! God made an order and you're messing with it. Stop! He created you and you might be black, you might be white, you might be short, you might be tall. You might be really smart, you might not. You might be athletic. He created you. He, there's nothing wrong with him. Quit acting like God makes mistakes. It's a fair conversation, isn't it? It's one that needs to be had. In what areas of your life do you struggle with trusting the Lord? Where, where, where do you struggle? Do you trust, you, do you fail in trusting him with your finances, with your job, in your marriage, with your kids? So what, people struggle to trust the Lord that he loves our kids more than we do. Do you believe that? Or is it, no, God, I got to step in. You can sleep with your boyfriend. You can get drunk. You can drink underage. You can go party. Just whatever you need. Because God, he doesn't know you like I know you. He doesn't know what you need like, like I do. Do you see that? He's the king. He decides. We trust. Where do we lack the trust? Are the areas of your life where, you're, where you spiritually walk in defeat, fear, and anxiety? How can you have victory over sin? There is within all of us a desire to feed our insecurity. We don't feel smart enough. We don't feel good enough. We don't feel like we earn enough. We don't feel like we bring value. We have pain. It hurts. And we want to soothe it. So we turn to pills. We turn to alcohol. We turn to our jobs. We turn to our spouses. We turn to our kids. And we say, you will make me whole. You will make me better. And we use them as spiritual medicine to fix our soul. Only Christ can fulfill that need. Only Christ makes us whole. Only Christ gives us a purpose. Only Christ gives us meaning because he's the king that he created and we are his people. And it is actively not trusting him to take care of us. Okay. Four, what do you fear more than God and how can you grow in your fear of the Lord? This is huge. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. I think we, we fear man because we don't fear God. If we started with the fear of the Lord first, everything else would fall into place. How many of the conversations we have with people would you bring before the Lord? Think of that. Or you're like, oh, I would never say that in front of God, out of fear. So, so, so try this, actively try this. Hey, God, this person on Facebook, they wrote this. I need to blast them and destroy them because they're defaming our nation they're defaming, you know, the good work of this institution. And God's like, yes, bash them. They're terrible. Is that how that goes? Go be angry to your wife. Cheat on your spouse. They don't love you. Is that how that conversation goes with the Lord? 
No. Bring the conversation to the Lord because we fear him and we intrinsically know with the help of the Holy Spirit, I shouldn't do that. That's not the proper response. And that fear is like, oh God, I would never say that to you. Then why do we say it to each other? Run it through the grid of the fear of the Lord. Audience of one. Audience of one. David doesn't care that his brother's mocking him. Saul's mocking him. Goliath is mocking him. He's just going to be true to who God is, what God has said, and let the chips fall where they may. Because he fears the Lord more than he fears his brother, more than he fears Saul the king, and more than he fears the giant. What he fears more is doing nothing while a man mocks his God openly and actively. We need to fear the Lord and trust him, and then we will walk in his victory until he brings us home. Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. Uh, we confess, us like Israel, we change who you are. We forget what you've done. We fear institutions and people and jobs, sickness and death. And God, we admit there is no need to fear any of those things because you are on the throne, you are sovereign, you are in charge. And we need to rest in your sovereignty. We need to find peace in your sovereignty. We need to rest knowing that the battle has been won. Satan has been defeated. Sin has been crushed. And we are yours forever. This is not our home. I pray we would find great comfort in knowing you and loving you and following you. And it is my deep prayer now that we would sing to you, praise you, love you, knowing that you are the king, you are in charge. You are fooled by nothing, caught off guard by nothing. And the world only advances at your allowance. You know everything that is going on. We should praise you that we have nothing to fear but you and you alone. We can stand on your promise. We can trust what you have done. Help us respond in a way that is worthy for who you are and what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.